Tonight we are uh, dealing with Jacob, uh, messy stories of uh, his life of faith, continuing on with the theme that's been set for this uh, summer series. And when you're dealing with Jacob, you're dealing with a very uh, almost larger than life kind of personality. As, as a matter of fact, his story is very pivotal to the uh, history of God's people. As a matter of fact, we have uh, over, I don't know, I think 11 or 12 chapters that are devoted to Jacob. And you stop to think about that, that the, uh, the first 11 chapters of Genesis cover from the creation of the world, the creation of the universe, all the way down through the fall of man and the, the flood. And finally, we get to Abraham in chapter 12. And Abraham gets a, a good chunk of the book as well with uh, about 13 chapters. But then we start in uh, chapter 25 of uh, Genesis and it's all about Jacob for the next 11 chapters. And then as you work on through from chapter 35 on through the end of Genesis chapter 50, again, uh, Jacob appears uh, time and again in different circumstances. So... It's a, a big subject, and I've been looking forward to having this opportunity and just to find out, you know, what it is I have to say about it. I'm, I'm kind of interested to know uh, what I'm going to be saying tonight. But uh, most of you, of course, have some knowledge of uh, Jacob, maybe a lot of knowledge of Jacob. And you know that his, his life, it started out with a real um, kind of a messy struggle, uh, even from before he was born, he was in conflict with his uh, twin brother Esau, even in their mother's womb. Now, Esau was the older, that is, at least he was born first, but by, what, seconds maybe. <laughs> so there's not a whole lot of uh, distance there in the age of these two sons of uh, Isaac and Rebekah. But uh, Rebecca, she was so concerned about what was going on with this struggle and fight inside her that she inquired of the Lord what was going on. And she was informed that uh, she was uh, bearing uh, two sons and uh, they were uh, going to be in a struggle, not only in the womb, but outside the womb as well, that they were going to be the heads of two different nations and that the, uh, the older would end up serving the younger. So she had that uh, knowledge, and sure enough, as uh, Esau was being born, uh, here comes Jacob, and he's a hold of uh, Esau's heel. We don't know if he just had one hand on one heel or whether he had both hands on one heel or both hands on both heels. We don't know, but here he, here he comes. Esau comes out, and here comes Jacob. And it's like uh, Jacob is, is thinking, hey, where are you, where are you going? Uh, what do you what do you think you're up to? You're not getting ahead of me. I'm I'm not going to stay in here by myself. And uh, so uh, Esau, his his response would be like, "Well, hey, you you heel grabber, turn loose of me." But uh, he ended up getting that name then, Jacob, which means actually heel grabber. That's what it means, heel grabber. Because in in Hebrew. The term or the word for grabbing the heel, it sounds like Jacob. That's, it's a kind of a rhyming sort of sound. 
but it also is more than that. It includes the idea of um, one who supplants someone else. It, it's a Hebrew idiom so that uh, it's like, for instance, uh, have you ever been in a line, standing in a line somewhere, and somebody kind of keeps edging up, edging up, and they're sort of moving in on you, and, and they're, they're going to try to cut the line. Uh, that carries the idea. Of course, that's not something that most of us appreciate either, somebody trying to cut in front of us. But um, Wes talked last week about how the, the name Jacob also means uh, a cheater. It does carry that connotation, someone who is capable of, uh, of trickery. And uh, I remember, uh, I actually remember the time when we used cash a lot to make purchases. And there were, there were people who had, the, um, had developed the skill, if you want to call it that, of a quick change artist, where they'd give you a larger bill and ask for change and you start, and they would be saying, oh, well, you know, can you change this? And they First thing you know, the one making the change, they don't remember what is going on and the person ends up uh, ripping them off for some money. So um, in our terminology and slang today, maybe we use a, a word that, uh, or a phrase that carries the same thought of when uh, somebody is uh, telling you a story and, and you're believing it, even though it sounds maybe a little uh, ridiculous, but finally uh, they say, oh, I'm just pulling your leg. So we understand, you know, if somebody's pulling my leg, they're teasing me, they're, they're kidding with me. Or maybe you've done the same thing, told somebody, ah, I'm just pulling your leg here. And usually people get away with it, but it, you know, at the bottom line, actually it is a lie. Whatever it is that you were saying, it was a lie. And uh, sometimes people will get upset about it. And they say, hey, you know, I, you shouldn't be kidding around about stuff like that, just depending on uh, what it is. But uh, we, I've never known of anybody named uh, Leg Puller, but, <laughs> you know, it's that idea of uh, if I introduce myself to you, uh, uh, like I did to Brother Green a little bit ago, and said, hey, my name's David Leg Puller, uh, that would carry the idea of what Jacob had to carry around all those years when they were calling him Jacob, or he was answering to Jacob, or he was saying, my name's Jacob. It was sort of that idea of uh, someone who is capable of um, trickery. So anyway, message situation number one that we're talking about tonight has to do with uh, how he hard bargained the birthright from his brother Esau. Now, at the least, the birthright entitled the one Typically, who was the oldest uh, son in the family during those times, uh, to a double portion of the family's estate. So that uh, if you had, say, four heirs and they would divide the state, the estate uh, five ways, and the oldest son would get a double portion. He'd get two fifths, while the other three shared in the three fifths. So that's was at least one aspect of uh, what was attractive about the uh, birthright, but it also um, included receiving the, uh, the primary blessing from the father, as well as uh, becoming recognized as the leader, the patriarch of the clan, and beyond that, even the spiritual leader 
uh, for, the, uh, for the tribe or the clan. So it carried a lot of um, prestige, it, it carried a lot of power, it carried the idea of wealth. And of course, in this case, it also carried the covenant blessing that God had first established with uh, Abraham, uh, promising him the, uh, a great nation would come from him, that uh, they would inherit a, a certain amount of land, and also that through his descendants, all of the earth, the whole world, was going to be blessed. So you have the, the uh, nation promise, the land promise, as well as the blessing promise that came to Abraham and then on to Isaac and then to the um, one who had the birthright. So, of course, you know the story of what happened, uh, and uh, I'll just summarize it. There's so much uh, scripture there that we're, I'm not going to be putting a bunch of scripture up here for you tonight. It's just too massive amount of uh, material. But uh, Esau, he was... Uh, he was, a, he was the hunter. He was the outdoorsman. He was uh, aggressive. He was uh, energetic. He seemed to be very Im- impulsive. He, he had no, uh, no use for delayed gratification. That was not Esau. As a matter of fact, when he was born, he was uh, very unusual looking. He was, he was red, red-complected, and he was full of hair, hair all over him. I mean, he was like, he was from the Wookiee tribe, you know? He was a Chewbacca sort of a guy, Esau. And so he, he comes out and, and he grew up in that kind of, uh, of uh, direction in life, of being out there and aggressive. And um, Jacob, on the other hand, is described as being a tent dweller. That is, he was kind of a homebody. He stayed around. Uh, the camp, and uh, he is uh, he is uh, described as being quiet. But the Hebrew word there that's uh, that's used to translate uh, quiet is in English would be transliterated uh, tam t a m, and it can literally mean perfect. That he was perfect. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that he was sinless by any means, as we'll see as we go on here tonight. But that rather, he, it carries the idea of maturity, of uh, being sort of a self-contained, and, and I, I use the word, uh, he, was not a, he was not a rabble-rouser type of hard-partying sort of guy. So they were just exact opposites there. And so Esau is out on a hunting trip. He comes in. He hasn't eaten for I don't know how long. He's famished. And he, as he comes in to the camp, he, he picks up the aroma of that uh, stew, that soup that uh, Jacob was, uh, was preparing, and it just, just grabbed him. And so he, he rushes over to Jacob, and, and he, he says, uh, literally, let me gulp down some of that red. This red is very intense in the way the sentence is structured there, that he wanted to gorge on it. He wanted to gulp it all down. This red, of course, he's red, he's red-haired, he's got all over, and he wants this red stew. And, and so Jacob, he is uh, seeing his opportunity to exploit this kind of weakness. So I, I don't know if, if, if you've ever had something like this, kind of as you're walking through the mall or in a restaurant or some uh, place where cooking is going on and, and something catches your attention, 
kind of grabs you by the nose and sort of pulls you right over to it. You know, it might be chocolate. I don't know. I, um, my wife, she is somewhat of a chocoholic. And I have um, told her, I'm going to, one of these days, I want to buy you a T-shirt. Uh, you've maybe seen them. It says, uh, hand over the chocolate, nobody gets hurt. You know, that, that's, uh, so, uh, th that's, that's kind of my, my wife's um, attitude. She said, go ahead, give me that T-shirt. I'll wear it. <laughs> so um, she's not here tonight. She, uh, <laughs> I can get away with this. Uh, oops, I think they're recording, though, aren't they? Yeah. But anyway, um, Jacob sees his opportunity, and he says, so uh, sell me your birthright. And at this point, Esau, he is like, wow, man, I'm dying here. I'm going to be dead in the next five minutes. And so what good is it going to do to me then? And, and now uh, one of the members here last week, uh, David Hall, that I've gotten acquainted with, he was telling me, uh, he said, you know why Esau didn't care for his birthright? He said, because if you had the birthright and you inherited everything, you also inherited the mother. And of course, Rebecca, she didn't care for Esau, and she didn't really like him at all. Uh, she loved Jacob. Now, es the, uh, let's see, Isaac, of course, was the one that, that loved uh, Esau. So anyway, we had a little chuckle about that, that, that uh, Esau would say, hey, <laughs> solve my problem. I don't want to have to put up with mom anymore. You take the, uh, the birthright. But at any rate... Um, Jacob didn't leave it at that of his agreeing to sell. He said, swear to me. So he put him under oath, and that was a big deal. So I don't know if you ever, uh, in the process of uh, studying or reading about this, have seen yourself in this kind of situation where somebody, uh, maybe yourself, you were, in a, you were in a weak spot and somebody took advantage of you, and you just didn't uh, put up the resistance that you should have, and later you regret it. Or perhaps the other way around, you saw an opportunity for a, a bargain and it involved maybe taking advantage of somebody who was in a bad way. But uh, at either rate, it's, uh, it's not a pretty thing to have on your record of taking advantage of someone in that situation. However, in Scripture, actually, um, Jacob is not criticized for this. Uh, it's recognized that he acted deceitfully but uh, that he was a hard bargainer, but uh, Esau is the one that gets the, the bad press in uh, Scripture because Esau, he did not value what was rightfully his. He was so focused on the things of this earth and this world that he cared less, and only later did he uh, regret having made that deal, but uh, it was uh, a tough situation there, and then the, uh, the second messy situation that we have in Jacob's life has to do with uh, he stole the primary blessing. And so these two kind of go together. You have, the, you have the birthright, but without the blessing of the, the father, then you have a uh, situation there where it wouldn't be valid. And in this case... He had a lot of help, and a lot of people were in the wrong here. But uh, what happened was, of course, his uh, mother had overheard Isaac telling Esau to go out and catch that 
wild game and fix him a meal, and he was going to give him his blessing, the patriarchal blessing. And uh, Rebecca overheard that. She tells her son Jacob, hey, that's what's going on, so we're going to have to uh, go in and, and uh, fool your father into thinking that you're Esau and you get that blessing. Of course, she had some knowledge there about what the future held in regard to these uh, two sons, according to the word of God, and yet at the same time, uh, the process used to, in order to achieve their means was uh, very uh, very bad. Now, according to uh, Hurrian Law, which uh, comes out of the Nutsi tablets from archaeological finds, a, a father could bestow the birthright on any son. The father had that right, so it wasn't just a locked-up deal that he had to uh, have the birthright on the eldest son. But Jacob, in order to accomplish this, of course, listened to his uh, mother, and he went in and um, uh, impersonated Esau. He lied about his identity. He lied about the food. When, when uh, he presented himself to, to uh, Isaac as Esau, uh, Isaac asked, hey, you really made it back here in a hurry. How did you get back so soon? And Jacob, responding as uh, Esau, said, well, the Lord blessed me. The Lord gave me a gave me a game right away, so I didn't have a long hunt. But you know what his main concern was? Jacob's main concern in talking to his uh, mom before they actually started the wheels turning. What if I get caught? What if I get caught? That's going to be rough. And um, Rebecca said, "Don't worry about it. If that happens, I'll take the curse." But she was so intent on her favorite son, Jacob, getting that blessing that uh, she was willing to take the curse in that regard. So what about us? Um, have you ever lied or uh, deceived or in some way misrepresented things so you could get your own way, uh, so you could get what you wanted? Um, I think... Most of us at one time or another could probably look back in our lives and the older you are, the more you can look back and see situations where uh, I really didn't do, I didn't do right there. Didn't do what I, what I should have done. Well, the, the net result when all of this came down, of course, uh, Esau was very upset and uh, he learned, he was telling it around that, he, that when, when, when my dad, when, when Isaac dies, um, I'm going to kill Jacob because he has uh, stolen what was rightfully mine and I'm going to kill him. So Rebecca, she tells Jacob about it, said, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of Dodge. Uh, things are going to be pretty rough. And so she brought the story to Isaac and said, look, um, Esau here, he's married these two Hittite women and I can't stand them. They're a thorn in our side. And so we don't want that to happen to Jacob. We need him to, to get a wife from our own people. And so uh, Isaac agreed, and he, uh, he blessed Jacob, and off he went to uh, find a wife with uh, his mom's family. Rebecca's brother, Laban, lived up in uh, Haran, which was several hundred miles away. 
up in that fertile crescent of northern Iraq today. And so he heads up there, and on the way he did have this faith-building experience of uh, what we know as Jacob's Ladder. When he uh, was asleep, he had the dream showing that it was not actually a ladder, it's more like a stairway, literally. A stairway into the heavens with angels uh, ascending and descending on it. And he realized that uh, he was in a special place, that God had, was with him. And so it was a real faith-building experience. Even in spite of his actions that he had uh, done, God was still with him. And he, he built an altar there, and he named the place Bethel. Uh, so we sometimes see the term Bethel. I know my dad, he graduated from Bethel High School in, uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, but uh, I never realized until uh, I began to do some serious study that Bethel actually means house of God. House of God. Beth is the Hebrew for house. El for God. House of God. So there he named that place Bethel, the house of God, because of that special dream that was given to him about God being with him. So he made his, own, his way on into uh, Haran, and found his family there. And when, we, when it comes to deception, uh, Jacob really had, he had nothing on his uncle, Laban. He was Rebekah's brother. Uh, someone had written, if Jacob was a deceiver, Laban was a deceiver extraordinaire. Laban was the duke of deceit. Laban was the lord of lying. Uh, we could say he was the chief cheater, I guess. Anyway, uh, it was kind of ironic. Maybe it's what we call poetic justice or uh, maybe some would call karma that the same things that um, are similar things that had happened with Jacob deceiving his father and stealing the uh, birthright or the blessing from Esau, now he ends up being deceived by his own family, his own uncle, who uh, became, of course, his father-in-law as well. But uh, here we have a situation where maybe he was just dealing with some of his own DNA. <laughs> you know, he came from that same uh, crowd that uh, Laban was with. But anyway, uh, the story that happened there is, is how he, he uh, came across Rachel, who was the daughter of Laban, and she was a shepherdess, and she was out watering or getting ready to water the sheep, and, and uh, Jacob got involved. He helped her water the sheep, and they found out they were cousins, and uh, so they, she took him home, introduced him to the family. Laban welcomed him. Everything was great. And so after about a month, uh, Laban says, uh, you know, you really shouldn't be just working here for nothing. Uh, what kind of wages shall we set you up with? And um, Jacob said, well, um, I'd really like to marry Rachel. And I'll work seven years. He, that, he had no money. I'll give you seven years of labor for Rachel. So they struck a deal. And you know how it happened. He worked seven years, and it seemed like it was but a day so great was his love for Rachel. And now, 
The term Rachel, so I read, can also be translated as a little baby girl sheep. A little baby girl. Now, how cute can that be? All right? But you know what happened? They had the wedding night, the celebration, and he goes in, spends the night with what he thought, who he thought was Rachel, and he wakes up. They get up the next morning at daylight, I guess, and behold, it says, it was Leah. Leah. Like, whoa, what is going on here? Now, Leah, the Bible says that she had, um, it's translated variously. Some say she had soft eyes or the idea of poor eyesight. Uh, one writer commented saying, well, what that, what it really means, she was just hard on the eyes. Uh, she, she was hard to look at. And it, it might, might be the case because Leah can also be translated as wild cow. <laughs> Contrast. You know, here we got the little, the little baby girl sheep, Rachel, and we have the wild cow, Leah. Well, Laban, you know the story. Laban said, hey, you know, in, in our customs here, the older, the younger can't marry before the older. So we had to do it this way. So go ahead and fulfill your week with Leah, the wild cow, and um, then you can marry Rachel, and you can work another seven years. Fourteen years that he labored for uh, Laban in order to uh, have the uh, Rachel as his bride. And it, again, the whole story is just out there because Leah, as it turns out, she is having boys as fast as you can have boys, as fast as humanly possible. She is producing sons. Rachel, nothing. And so Rachel gets involved, gives her servant girl over to Jacob. And so the servant girl uh, has two sons. And so Rachel says, I can claim them as my own because she's my servant girl. So then Leah, she starts having difficulty conceiving. So she gives her servant girl to uh, Jacob and two sons are born. And then back and forth, finally ends up with uh, six sons from Leah and uh, two sons each from the servant girls. Actually, the girls are, the servant girls are described as being wives. They were given to Jacob as a wife. So in, in other, other verses, they referred to as concubines. So there's, there was a difference. But nevertheless, it was all legal under that system of things. And um, then finally, Rachel has uh, her first son, Joseph. And so there was a lot of things that happened during that uh, 20 years that, Lab that uh, Jacob was with Laban. But finally, after 20 years, he manages to get away. There was a lot of family conflict there in that regard as well as far as him being able to, to get away and establish his own identity, so to speak, but uh, I won't go into the, the details on that. Basically, it was just he was contending with his father-in-law 
and I don't know if you've ever had to deal with a, some kind of a no-holds-barred family conflict situation, but it's, it's never fun, and uh, it creates a lot of uh, uh, actions that can have and often do have consequences. So anyway, that's how the Israelite people got the names of their tribes, of course, through these sons of uh, Jacob. Once he got back into the land of Canaan, then the um, uh, Rachel had a, another son, Benjamin, which made the 12 sons of uh, Jacob that became the 12 heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, it was at that point in childbirth that Rachel passed away. So um, he continued to prosper there and do well. I'm going to skip a little bit further forward than um, out of, oh boy. I've talked too much. I was interested to see what I had to say. I see I have too much to say. Um, he, he showed extreme favoritism to Joseph which is always going to create a lot of problems. And it did in that case. You know the story. His, his brothers were jealous. But, well, you know the story because you've seen that musical, right? Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. We've all seen that one, right? And uh, as a matter of fact, this is the 50th year anniversary of that Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. And, and the guy that wrote the lyrics actually... Uh, Lord Weber, he wrote the music, and Tim Rice wrote the lyrics. I, I never knew that until recently. Fifty years later, I find out who wrote the lyrics. But um, sometimes, you know, it's difficult not to show favoritism when you're dealing with children. And I know in our case, with three, two boys and a girl, um, there were different times. We liked one more than we liked the other. <laughs> But you try to not show favoritism. But because of actions and conflict and things like that, you can run into situations. But you have to really be careful and uh, not show favoritism. Uh, fairness is the thing that people want to see happen. All right, finally, the, the last and the fifth situation here is that of uh, he wrestled with the angel of God. Now, this actually happened prior to him crossing the river back into Canaan, before he met Esau, that whole story about how he managed to be reunited with Esau is quite interesting itself. But after he sent everybody across the river, and he's there alone at night, and thinking about what he's going to run into the next day with Esau, and suddenly somebody jumps him and starts wrestling with him. And it goes on all night. They wrestle. And it turns out it was, it was God in the form of an angel of God. We're not going to turn there, but in Hosea chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, there uh, it's pointed out that he was wrestling God, but it really was the angel of God that he uh, had uh, contact with. Now, those two boys of mine, we used to wrestle around a little when, uh, when they were small. They got bigger, we Kind of had to stop that. But anyway, um, when they were small, could I have pinned them easily? Of course. You know, I could just slap them down on the ground and pin them. But that really wasn't my object. We'd rough house and 
I'd even let them pin me and we'd laugh and they'd do a little victory dance, all that sort of thing. But, you know, I was not, I wasn't interested really in winning the match. I was interested in winning the boys. That's, that's really what motivated me. And I think that's what we have going on here is that uh, this angel of the Lord certainly uh, could have <laughs> pinned Joseph, or excuse me, uh, Jacob just like that. But he didn't. They wrestled and struggled all night long. And finally, as the day was breaking, uh, Jacob wouldn't let him go. And he, he touches his hip socket in some way and dislocates it. And so at that point, of course, Jacob can't really wrestle, but he just holds on. He just clings to the angel. And he won't let him go until he blessed him. He said, bless me. And, of course, that's what happened, and that's when his name was changed from Jacob, the cheater, over to Israel, one who contends with God and prevails, or one who contends with God and man and overcomes. And that's what we have here. I know I've got to wrap this up, but there at the cross, it occurs to me that that, that's a situation where God let himself be pinned. Not just pinned, but nailed to the cross. Because he wasn't interested in winning that match. What he was interested in was winning the men and women, boys and girls, uh, that he came to save. And so that's, that's the way it is with you and me, I believe, in, in our lives. Is what, that's what God wants us to do, is to cling to him, to struggle with him, to not let him go. Bless me, because that's what takes us with him on into the eternal state. And so we're given the promise. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted or tried beyond what you can endure, but will with that temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. We have that promise of God. Sure, he brings struggles, he brings things into our lives, but he wants us to hold on to him. And, you know, Paul had that thorn in the flesh that he really wanted to get rid of. And God said, don't worry about it. My grace is sufficient. And Paul, I wish I could say it as well as he did, or mean it as much as he did, Paul was able to say then, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. You ever think about that? Boast in your weakness. Why? Because that's God's opportunity. Boast in your weakness. And so our messy situation is God's opportunity to build our faith. John Calvin put it this way. He said, God, he may be fighting with us with his left hand, but he's fighting for us with his right hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the scripture we have that we can learn from the lives of these people in the past that have made such significant contributions to what we are today. We're thankful for their faith. We're thankful for you seeing them through these messy situations. And we give you praise, Lord, for seeing us through our messy situations in life. Help us to just keep the faith, to hold on. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.